Morning, guys. Let's all stand again and pray. Our Father, as we've gathered in this place this morning, we thank you first and foremost for the ability to, to be here, to freely assemble and to worship Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that you're performing here. We thank you for the anointing that you have placed on Pastor Ray. We thank you for the uh, faithful servants, Lord, who have been here encouraging him, helping him, and, and building this ministry so that it does glorify you. Lord, I thank you for Pete and for the work that you're doing in Albuquerque and the variety of other pastors, Lord, that, that are here or who have their members of their congregations here, and I pray that you'll strengthen their hands as they serve you and that you would produce a unity of spirit amongst those who are like-minded so that this area might be transformed uh, through Jesus Christ and a love for His Word and, and an empowerment by Your Spirit. We do ask that You would continue to move amongst us and pray, Lord, that even as we open Your Word now, that You'll speak to us and draw us to Yourself. And we give You thanks and we give You glory. We give You honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated, fellas. This is a good day. It's a good day. You know, I love uh, two or more, you know, great, great guys, wonderful worship. I'm able, I'm able with, with Rawl, so uh, <laughs> no, he's a great man, obviously. We all love him very much, and I'm looking forward also. I know that uh, Pastor Poncho has got a great, great message as well as Pete and as well as, as, as Pastor Ray. So I encourage you fellas to, to remain for the entire day. Uh, so that the Lord might be able to fill you up wonderfully. Let's open our Bibles together to 2 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, continuing where Pastor Raul left off here in uh, 2 Timothy. We're going to be looking at living contrary to the world. I'll read to you out of verses uh, 10 through 15, and we'll get into our study. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, reading to verse 15, Paul writes, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. As we begin... The Apostle Paul is beginning to draw a distinction. He's drawing a distinction between a young protege, a minister by the name of Timothy, and false teachers. And as he's been drawing that distinction, he's demonstrated that the false teachers have certain earmarks. You can see those earmarks when he speaks in verse 8 here in, in chapter 3, speaking of Janus and Jambres, and he says that Janus and Jambres resisted Moses so do these also resist the truth of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. And so these false teachers have certain earmarks. They resist the truth, they have corrupt minds, and they are reprobates or dis, uh, disapproved. Now ultimately, these false teachers are revealed, but one of the ways that they are revealed is through contrast. 
And that's why Paul is speaking to Timothy and he says, in contrast, in reality, but as for you. That's what he means in verse 10. He's drawing a contrast. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, etc. And so, as a, as a distinctive from false teachers, you are the real thing, Timothy. You are actually sincere. You are actually genuine. You have been a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is ready to be poured out as a drink offering. His ministry is about to come to an end. And so what he's trying to do is encourage this young man to continue using him as a pattern. Because inasmuch as Paul is about to depart, he's going to be taken to be with the Lord, and he knows that. He wants to make sure that Timothy continues to have a good model that he might use in order that he might continue to take this gospel into uh, the world through the rest of his ministry life. And I believe very strongly, first and foremost, that God has placed people in our lives who can be models to us. I believe as a pastor that I need to have a mentor. I need to have somebody that I can look up to, and I do have that person. The person in my life that I look up to is my own pastor, Chuck Smith. And I have seen a man who has faithfully served the Lord all of his ministry life and who's been a pastor over Calvary Chapel since 1965, who has for 40 years remained faithful to his call, faithful to the ministry, and he's a man worthy of, of respect and a man that I can follow. I'm listening right now to some of the tapes that Pastor Chuck has, has uh, produced over the years from the pastor's conferences from 1980 to the present, to 2005. And I've been just, just listening just to Pastor Chuck from 1980 to 2005. I'm on my 18th tape now, and I can hear as I'm listening to my pastor that his message has remained solidly the same all of my ministry life. As I've heard him from the time I was ordained as a minister to this point now, Pastor Chuck has been careful to teach us the Word of God and to live it out. And I believe that we need to have men in our lives like that. And so one, I would encourage you in your life, in your walk with God, to be raising up your pastor before the Lord in prayer constantly. Whatever church you may come from, to be praying for your pastor constantly, that he may remain faithful and strong in the ways of the Lord. And secondly, I would encourage every man in this room to make up your mind that you're going to be a mentor to somebody else. You have that ability to do so. You have the ability to be an example to young believers to, so that they might see a man who has faithfully followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, I would say, and most especially really, that you ought to be a model to your home. If you have sons and daughters, if you're a parent, you have sons and daughters, I would encourage you as a man to live a life that they can look to, a man that they can respect. And it's been said that there are no heroes here in, anymore in the United States, and I would disagree. I would say there are plenty of heroes, and they're called dad. And I really believe that we as men ought to be heroes to our children so that they can look up to us and know this is what a man is supposed to be. You see, the Apostle Paul was a man that you could respect. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. He's able to say, insofar as I follow the Lord, use me as your template. Use me as your model. Use me as an example of a man who sold out. Now, why would I do that? Well, he tells the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 9, the things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So you can use me as an example because there's fruit to it. God will minister in your life and produce something in you that, that you'll have no other way if you don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ and use a great example of someone who does. We need to remember that the Christian life is both taught as well as caught. It's not something that you just learn because you come and you sit down and listen to Bible studies like we're giving you today, and you know that. You learn the Christian life not only by having somebody open the Word of God and rightly divide it, teaching you properly, but you also learn the Christian life by watching somebody live it properly. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, when he called his men to himself, chose them that they might be with him. That's what Mark tells us. He chose 12, whom he called apostles, that they might be with him. And what that simply means is he's going to teach them the things of the kingdom of God, opening up their hearts to the things that he's revealing to them, but he would also model it before them so they would see what a Christian, a real Christian, is supposed to live like. I know that I can learn certain things from books, but I really learn those things when I take that book knowledge and put it into practice. When my boys were young and I was teaching them how to, how to play baseball, you can instruct them concerning the rules. You can tell them how to play baseball. But one of the ways that they learn to play baseball is by watching games actually played and then playing in the game themselves. And what I wanted for my boys is not for them to be armchair quarterbacks or people who could sit on the bench and dictate how the game ought to really be playing and who ought to be put in there and all of that, but that they might have real experience in, in that game so they'd enjoy it and love it like I did. Well, when it comes to walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to not only receive what the Word of God has to say, but we have to act on those things so that our lives are transformed by what we're putting into practice. And that's what Paul is speaking about. That's what he's saying when he says that you have carefully followed. That means you have been somebody who has been watching me and being careful to, to model yourself in the way that I have been living I believe very, very strongly that, that people are to use others as examples in the way of life that we call the Christian life. James said it this way in chapter 3, verse 13. He asked the question, James said, Who is wise and understanding among you? Then he answers it by saying, Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Who is truly a rabbi is what he was saying. Who is wise and understanding was another way of saying, Who is a person who is able to teach the word of God? Well, he says, if you want to be somebody who is able to teach the Word of God, you need to live that Word of God. He says, so let it be demonstrated by your good conduct. Let it be demonstrated by the way that you live. And so that's what's taking place here as Paul is beginning to speak to his young, young uh, protege, Timothy. So he says in verse 10, you have carefully followed. Now notice what he has followed. My doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. What is it that you have been following? Well, we need to know that because God's Word affects us in every way that it's going to cause us to live in a certain way. We need to remember that God's Word will uh, affect our, our head because it gives to us information. Information that, that, that causes us to understand some of the things about God. But he also gives to us uh, something that affects our, our hearts because it transforms us and causes us to be uh, loving individuals. And he also gives us something that works its way out in our, in our hands. So he affects our, our head, our heart, and our hand. He, he affects our head by information, our heart through compassion, our hands through action. And he's saying, what is it that you have carefully followed? What have you seen in my life that has been used by God to transform you? What is it that has, has been earmarked? How have, have I become a template? Well, these are the things that you have seen. Now, I want you to notice this. He says, you have seen my doctrine. When he speaks of doctrine, a lot of people in the last days are going to turn away from sound doctrine, but doctrine simply means teaching. He says, you have, you have been affected by my teaching. What I have taught you concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have heard this and, and have held fast to it. Now, when Paul was speaking to the uh, Ephesian elders, it's found in Acts chapter 20, verses 18 uh, through 21. This is what he said. He said to them in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 18, 
uh, you know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You have seen the combination of my doctrine and manner of life. And that's how he begins here. He speaks of my doctrine. You know the things that I have carefully taught you, the things from the Word of God that I have made sure to give you the A to Z about. That's why to the Ephesians he could say to them that he has not shunned to declare unto them the entire counsel of God. You know my doctrine. You know the things that I have taught you, but you also know my manner of life. You know how I have lived among the people. You've seen my, my priorities. You've seen my unselfish con consecration. You have seen that God's Word actually transforms lives because you've seen a life transformed before you. Notice he says, you have seen my purpose. The purpose is my chief aim in life. You know what my treasures are because the things that I treasure are going to affect the way that I live. live. You know the things that I value the very most, the things that have caused me to live in the way that I do. Now, I've said this before perhaps to this congregation, don't remember, and if you've already heard this before, forgive me, perhaps some of you haven't heard this, but when my father went home to be with the Lord back in 2001, and he was dying, he died of a heart attack, my brother and I, uh, being the... Uh, the oldest, uh, oldest brothers and everything, uh, when my dad was dying, he was in his uh, hospital bed, and he asked to see his sons. And so Frank and I came and, and were there with my dad at, at his bedside, and my dad was speaking to us, and he was giving us final instructions and all. And uh, my dad said to us, you know, in my, uh, in my room, in our bedroom, in the, in the closet, uh, on the top shelf, there's a green little metal uh, box, a tin box. He says, in that box, I have all of my most important things. My brother and I call them his treasures. He said, in that little tin box, I have my most important papers, the most important things to me. He says, when I die and go home to be with the Lord, I want you to open that up and discover the things that, that, that are, are very important. And so naturally, we're, we're thinking that my dad has, you know, the deed to his house and he has any, you know, banking and any retirement information, you know, those kinds of things, because he said, these are my most important things, and these are the things that I, that I have in that little box, and when, when I go home to be with the Lord, I want to make sure that you, uh, that you, you are able to get those things. And so uh, my dad, that was a Tuesday, my dad died on a, a Thursday, and uh, I come to uh, the house Thursday night, my brother's there, and um, no, actually Friday, I come Friday, and my brother's there, it's dark, you know, I've been taking care of a lot of business, buying a casket and getting a, a grave site and things of that nature, and so I show up on uh, Friday evening, and I can still remember as I pulled my, my car up into my dad's driveway and parked my car, and I climb out of the car, and I start walking towards uh, the house, and it's all dark. My brother comes out of the darkness and, and uh, greets me, and he says, Dave, I opened up dad's treasure box, and I said, you did? And he says, you know what we found in there? And I said, what, Frankie? He said, I, he said David, we found, we f I found Daddy's marriage certificate. He said, I found pictures of us when we were children. He said, I found, I found cards that said Happy Father's Day where he, he had, our hands had been outlined and, and we'd written with a childish scrawl, Happy Father's Day. He said, I found all these things. He said, not a single thing in Daddy's treasure box related to his house, related to insurance, related to bank accounts. The only thing that mattered to Dad was us. Yeah, that's a legacy, guys. 
that's the kind of thing that you leave behind. That's, that's what it's all about, you see. That's what it's all about. What is your purpose in life? Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is my chief aim. I have made it my chief purpose to preach the name of Christ where his name has never been presented. That's my chief purpose. I have decided to leave all things behind and, and press towards the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and will suffer the loss of all things because everything else to me is just dung. It's refuse. It's, a, it's rubbish of no value so that I might gain the excellent relationship and knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. He died. I've given everything up for him. Timothy, you know my purpose in life. I've been able to show you that I'm not a double-minded man. I've demonstrated to you that there's one thing that causes my heart to beat rapidly, and that's the kingdom of God. And like Rawl has already stated to us, when, when, we, when we go home and, and, and go to be with the Lord and, and our children walk up and, and eulogize us, speaking good words concerning dad, I've often wondered, what would my children have to say? Are they going to have to lie because it's not right to speak evil of the dead? Or are they going to be able to stand up and speak the truth? This is a father you didn't know. This is a man who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, loved my mom, loved us, loved his grandchildren. This is a man you didn't know. This is a man I grew up with. What is what are your kids going to say about you when they stand up and speak about you? May they know your purpose of life and may it be to pursue Jesus Christ with all of your strength, with all that's within you because you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loved you and gave himself for you and to follow him is the best thing any man can do. Do you agree with that? It's the best thing that any man can do is to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks about faith. He speaks about my faith towards God which resulted in my salvation. He speaks of my long-suffering, which is his patience with people, especially those who persecuted him. He says, you have seen my love. You've seen the love of God as it has come through my heart, and you've seen the love that God has given to me for people. Listen, the Christian faith is unique in that we love God but demonstrate our love for God as we love others. There are people out there who will tell you that they love God. They will tell you they love God. I have had people say, I love the Lord, I just can't stand people, and that doesn't make sense. But there are others who will say, I love God so much, I'll strap dynamite to my body and kill children in a school bus. God, when, when Jesus Christ was asked, what is the great command in the law? He said, you are to love the Lord your God with everything that is within you, your heart, your soul, your strength, everything. And he said, and a second command is like unto the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then later on, Jesus says, this new command give I unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So how did you love me, Jesus? Well, I loved you and I gave my life for you. That's how I loved you. That's the fresh, that's the new, that's the command that actually takes it beyond the Old Testament law of loving God and loving neighbors, and it has the element of sacrifice of a life for that person. How much did God love me? So much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. How much is that? It's inestimable. You cannot fathom, we cannot plumb the depth of the love of God, the cost that, it, that, that he paid so that he might have relationship and, with us. And so he says, you know my love, you know my love for God that has caused everything to move and you've seen me when I've been with people and I've loved them too. You know my perseverance. 
Perseverance is endurance under trying circumstances. You've seen that I haven't given up. You've seen the persecutions, been aware of those things. Through my entire ministry, I've gone through persecution and affliction for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I've endured these things because to endure it just causes me to grow in my understanding and character. You know these things. I haven't been a, a good time kind of a Christian where when things are going well, I follow him, and when things aren't going so well, I backslide. You know that I've remained strong and firm through all of it, and I've demonstrated to you that. But he goes on and explains in verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now that's a promise, guys. That's something that you get from the Lord. He's, he's saying, I want to give you a gift. Here's some persecution. You know, you can go to the bookstore here, and I'm pretty certain that, that Ray probably, if not, you know, he will, after I say this, carries um, in the bookstore little promise boxes. You know, you can open them up to a treasure chest, and you have your verse for the day. And so you open it up, and, you say, and it says uh, today, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And you say, right on, Lord. Or you open it up and says, without me, you can do nothing. Praise the Lord. But how many of us would rejoice where we pick this one up where it says, you shall suffer persecution? And you read that, and you say, man, I got my wife's promise for the day. I better put it back in so, <laughs> you know, so I don't rip her off from a blessing, you know. And that wasn't mine. But Paul makes it clear. He makes it very clear that that's part of the Christian life. That's what we go through because if you want to live for Jesus Christ, then you're going to go against the flow. We all know that any dead fish can float along with the stream, but it takes a living one to go against it. And the Lord intends for us to be living, and so as we go against it, we actually are strengthened. And he says, you know the manner of life I've lived in, the persecutions and afflictions that I've gone through, but you need to understand something. Timothy, as a, a timid man, which we know that Timothy had some, some things that we would say probably went against him. One, he was a young man in a culture that, that valued age. Two, he was a, 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 a man who was uh, timid by, by nature. You know, that's why he would say to Timothy, God hasn't given to us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. That's why he would tell Timothy, stir up the gift of God that has been placed in you by the laying on of my hands. He'd say, you need to remember the prophecies that have been prophesied over you, Timothy, and, and through these you will wage the good warfare. You need to understand that you're going to go through, through difficult times, but, but hold fast and stay strong and remain firm because all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I, I wish in a way that I could come up here and promise as a pastor that the minute you get saved, you'll never have another difficult day, but I discovered the opposite to be true. I discover that in pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to die to myself. I have to fight the world constantly. There are, you know, the enemies after me, and I've discovered that, and it's absolutely true. But I've also discovered that in remaining firm and strong in the Lord, character, perseverance, and, and hope, and a variety of other things are, are produced in us as we do so. And so you might be here today going through some tough times. And I'll say to you, you know, well, just, you know, j join the group. I mean, all of us are. But what really marks whether or not you're saved is, is whether you go through those tough times, because all of us do. Some people, when they go through the tough time, they say, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. That only reveals that your walk with the Lord never really existed at all. You were a good time, Charlie. But when you get saved, you expect 
to go through some tough things. And as a man of God, as a warrior for the kingdom of God, as a man who's been equipped for works of service, you hold fast to Jesus Christ because you know it's all worth it at the end. You know that ultimately you will see him face to face and he will say unto you, well done, my good and my faithful servant. He'll say to you, enter into the joy of the Lord that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And at that point, it doesn't matter what you went through because you're home safe. You're there with the Lord Jesus Christ. He wipes away all the tears from your eyes and all the rest of the eternity. You get to bask in his glory and his love and his joy and you'll say, it was worth it. Following the Lord Jesus Christ was worth it and it will always be worth it. And that's why he says, you know my manner of life. You know how I live, but I want to let you know you're going to go through some tough times. Now he moves on in verse 13 and says, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. One of the things that we need to understand is that in the last days, and Rawls already spoken on this, so I don't want to go over a path he's already traveled, but I will say this. One of the things we need to understand is that deception will grow worse and worse in the last days. When Jesus was being questioned by his apostles, it's found in Matthew 24, when Jesus was being questioned by his apostles, they wanted to know what the sign of his coming would be. And I want you to do this. Turn with me briefly, please, to Matthew 24, because I want to read this to you. Matthew 24. And I want to read this, and I want you to note something with me. In Matthew chapter 24... Beginning at verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the building of the temple, buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment, because I want you to see this as clearly as is possible. It is true, we're having people ask us as ministers, do you think these hurricanes and these uh, tsunamis and these earthquakes are indicating something that we should be aware of? Well, the answer, obviously, is like Rawl was saying, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's something to be aware of. Because in the earthquakes, uh, we hear that uh, 40,000 or so people die. In the tsunami... Uh, we know that a uh, couple hundred thousand plus died. Uh, we know in this, this recent hurricane, uh, entire cities are wiped out. Hundreds of thousands of people are, are left homeless. And, uh, and I, I think that you could look and you could say, well, at least this is getting my attention. Whether the Lord is behind this orchestrating it or not, I have to be careful because I don't want to 
um, blame God for something he's not doing, but I can see what's taking place, and it does cause people to question, and it's a great opportunity for us as the church to, to make people aware of the, of the last days. And, and a lot of people indeed do look at this passage and they do spend time looking at the wars and they look at the pestilences and they look at the earthquakes and famines. But I want you to see this very clearly because I, I want you to read this more closely. Sometimes we don't read it as closely as is possible. So look again with me, please, at verse 3 when it says, uh, tell us, when will these things be and what will be, now notice, singular, the sign. Do you see that? He didn't, they didn't say what will be the signs, did they? They said what will be the sign. Now Jesus gives us a variety of things. Of course, of course, we see that. But in answer to the question, what is the first thing that he says? Take heed that no one deceives you. There are more people who are dying and going to hell because of deception than are, uh, that are dying because of earthquakes. There are more people who are dying and going to hell because of deception than people who are dying of, of, of famines and pestilence. People are dying of deception because in the last days, they will no longer endure healthy teaching. And what is taking place, I believe, right now as many people are failing to realize that the sign of the last times is evil men and impostors growing worse and worse. Jesus made it very clear that the sign, singular, is deception. Now, if Jesus says something one time, do we listen? Absolutely. My dad said, clean your room. He only had to say it one time. If he said it twice, I'm going to get it. My dad's going to get mad at me. If he had to say it three times, my dad was the kind of man who would walk in and say, Look, and are, you, are you disrespecting me? I'm your father. I told you what to do. You haven't moved. That's how my dad was. He was worthy of my respect. And if my dad said to do something one time, that's all it took. What would happen if Jesus is saying it just one time? That's all it takes. But in one passage, three times, he gives the same warning. He says it there in verse 4 when he says, Take heed, no one deceives you. Many will do many will my name, saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. He says it in verse 11. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. He says it in verse 24, false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. What is it that we're looking for as an indication of the return of Christ? Deception running rampant. And that's exactly what is taking place now. So if you turn on back to 2 Timothy, I'll develop this a little bit further with you. He says, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That word evil, in an ethical sense, speaks of being bad or wicked. It speaks of a time filled with, with danger to Christian faith and, uh, and our steadfastness. It speaks of a time that causes pain and trouble. So evil is going to occur. Evil men Will, will, and impostors will grow worse and worse. The word imposter is another word for seducer. It was also used to speak of an enchanter, but it speaks of a deceiver. In the last days, evil men and imposters, he says, will grow worse and worse. The church's responsibility is to deal with seduction and to safeguard the membership of the body of Christ. The church's responsibility is to, to teach the word of God in truth. But what is taking place today is it seems that many enshrine deceivers and their teachings, and sometimes they even financially support them. It wasn't that long ago when one man was, was standing up saying, if you don't give me a million dollars, God is going to kill me. And I started saying, 
Boy, I hope nobody gives him any money. I want to see if God kills this guy. And, and, he, and, he's, and he's saying, isn't that a Christian thing to think? But let's see. And some dog track race, dog race track owner sends him a million dollars and bails him out. And he's saying, I'm going to be up in my, in my tower. You know, the tower that he lives in. You might be thinking of some, some tower like in this old medieval castles with, with you know, it's just cold. And no, man, he lived in a tower that was better than most people's houses. He said, I'm going to just remain up here. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to take a vacation for the next 30 days, you know. And I think about that. Or you hear the deceivers who say things like, you know, the Holy Spirit was on me so much that I stepped off the platform and I hovered there, suspended, just hovered there in the Spirit until I awoke to realize that I was off the platform. And then I turned and walked on thin air and climbed back on the platform. Oh, give me a break. Or, or that guy who was on TV, and I saw him do this when he said, I'm going to say something to you that's going to probably cause you in your theology, in your theology to be a little disturbed, but I'm telling you the truth. This happened to me. I cast a demon out of myself. And I said, you lying dog. You've got a demon in you now, and it's a lying spirit on top of that. Don't give me this stuff, you know. That's not true. Casting demons out of yourself. Give me a break. But you know, that's what we have today. And, and you know what? People will say, send me your money. Send me your money. This one guy was say, I was saying, send me your money and I'll send you a blessed wallet. And I promise you, this wallet will never be, be empty. It will always have money in it. And I thought, well, just give yourself a wallet and leave me alone. Why are you asking me for, your mo for my money? I mean, this doesn't make any sense at all. Some other guy's saying, send me some money and I'll, I'll send you an autographed picture of Jesus. <laughs> give me a break. You know, he probably had some Mexican guy in the church named Jesus who was just writing and saying, hey, you know. You got a lot of Jesuses in my church. We got angels too. I had an uncle named Angel. It's crazy, but these are the days that we're living in. And uh, it's been said that the greatest problem in the church today is the lack of discernment. And I, I, I think that's probably true. I believe that biblically ignorant believers will defend the evil teachings of false teachers. I've had people in my church angry at me for, for, for saying, be careful with these teachers because they're going to destroy your walks with Jesus Christ. Because they're going to undermine your faith and you're going to end up hurt somewhere and they get angry at me. But the Word of God is intended to, to give us discernment. Ephesians 4, verse 14 says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. The Word of God is intended to build us up. So if they are not dealt with, they grow worse and worse. You see, their desire is to lead everyone astray, and if left unchecked, they will wreak havoc in the church. I believe that we're seeing this right now. There is an openness to false teaching. It's not new. In the Old Testament, God spoke to the nation of Israel about that. They had a propensity towards that. In Jeremiah 5, verse 31, Jeremiah says, The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? You see, by, by forsaking God and His Word, you leave yourself open to a false teacher. And I believe the church is locked in a terrible battle, and it's a battle for your mind. 
It's a battle for your mind. Very often we speak concerning spiritual warfare and, and we think in terms of the demonic oppression and the variety of expressions of, of spiritual warfare in that particular way. But I need to remind you that the battle is for your mind. Uh, the battle that, that we are waging right now is, is the way of thinking that we have, how we see God, how we see reality, how we, uh, how we enter into the kingdom of God. All of this is part of the way that you think. That, that's why when you're not ta taught the word of God, that's why it's easy to continue living in sin and to think that you're still going to heaven because we falsify grace and, and extend it to give us permission to live in a sinful way. And even as Paul uh, Raw ra rather earlier was stating, there are a lot of, of men who fail to realize that God has called us to live holy lives unto Him, lives that are set apart. Uh, but a lot of people don't understand that it's the way of thinking that produces the way of behaving. And, and if your doctrine that you're holding fast to is unclean, your life will be too. And you'll have the wrong priorities because you'll begin to seek the things that, that are the earmarks of the last days. And one of the things that Raul pointed to, and I want you to see this again in chapter 3, uh, notice verse 2. I want you to see this. One of the things that be, begin the fruit, uh, demonstrate the fruit of false teaching, the first two things, men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Lovers of yourself and lovers of money. We can transform those words if you'd like to bring them up to date. Health and wealth. Health and wealth. The two things that cause people to want to come to be blessed and prosperous. To go to churches where the, where the pastor does stand up there and promise you that you'll never lack money and you'll always be healthy. Health and wealth. I mean, that was earmarked for us 2,000 years ago. Be careful for false teachers. What are they going to do? They're going to teach you not to live for others. They're going to teach you to live for yourself so that you're always healthy and always wealthy. And then the other things spring from that polluted stream. You see how it works? And that's what Paul was speaking about. All the way in the book of Job, when the devil began to work against Job, and, and the devil approaches God himself, and, and God calls uh, the angels to a meeting, and, and Satan, Lucifer, shows up along with the others, and, and God begins to interrogate him. And, and when you look in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Job, when God is speaking to Satan, and it says Satan was there amongst the others, he, he says to him, well, where have you been? And that's in the inter in, in, interrogation. He's speaking to them, him in a sense of he's actually saying, listen, I know you have been up to no good. I'm interrogating you because I'm in, I'm, I wanted to hear you give an account. Where have you been? What have you been up to? You know the story. You know how Satan says, I've been running to and fro throughout the earth. Well, what does Peter say? He says that Satan, like a roaring lion, goes to and fro. What are you saying? I'm saying that, what was he saying? Satan was saying, I have been up to no good, and I'm giving an account of myself. That's why God says, did you consider my servant Job? The word consider, have you scrutinized him? Have you looked for a fault in him? Have you tried to find something you can accuse him of? Have you found a weakness in him? Have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> of course I have. Immediate response, but I can't touch him. You put a hedge about him. But if you take all that he has, and then secondly, if you take all that he loves, if you take his health and you take his wealth, he will curse you to your face. Isn't that what Satan said? Read chapters 1 and 2. Exactly. He takes everything he has and then touches his health. He takes everything he has, his children. He takes everything he has and then he touches his body. What is it that the enemy wants us to concentrate on? The here and now. The here and now. My health and my wealth. 
And that, I'm telling you, and you know this, is, is one of the doctrines that is out there today that people have been holding fast to. And what we've done is we've, we've, ensh we've enshrined, we've enthroned people who teach error. And we even send them money to continue doing so. And what has happened is deception has entered the church under the guise of love. We allow it to continue and it infects us. Instead of anointed Bible teaching, we're now plagued by cowardly pastors. Pastors who are fearful of losing congregations, so they simply tickle the ears of those attending church. And that mentality to try and get you into church has caused pastors to adopt a variety of styles. Some pastors have become great entertainers. They polish their presentation, and they're never discouraging to those who are listening. Some pastors become great storytellers. They can come and they can begin their, their sermon with a story, then they give a couple of other things. They come back to their story, they give a couple other things. They're wonderful storytellers, but they create dull-minded sheep who are hungry for stories. Some become magicians. They pull things out of the Bible that isn't even there. It's like that guy with the, the hat and he pulls a rabbit out of it. You know, I've had people approach me saying, well, I heard so-and-so teaching, and he's, he was teaching out of this passage, and this is what he's saying, and I've never seen it there in that passage before. And I've had to say, because it's not there. He made it up. He's a magician. And that happens. Some ride their hobby horse. They're always finding a way to insert their pet doctrine into everything they teach. And some people simply rely on enthusiasm and personality. And what happens is they win people to themselves and become celebrities in their own churches. That's again, and I have to commend Rawls' insights, and, and it's important for us to hear, that's why the pastor is the servant in the body of Christ. He's not the celebrity in the body of Christ. He's the servant in the body of Christ. The pastor is there as the slave to serve you, and you should be serving Jesus, and together we should, we should serve him. But when you've got a, a pastor who can't carry his own bag, when you've got a pastor who doesn't open the door for himself, you, when you got a pastor who's driving uh, cars that nobody else in the church could afford, but you're all giving your tithe so he can live like that, that's not honoring the Lord. That's creating a celebrity, and you had better be careful because after he falls, which he will, you're going to be wondering what happened to my great man of God. There's only one that we should look at with complete trust, and that's Jesus himself. The rest of us are failures, and we need to understand that. We teach... We teach the Word of God because it is the Word of God. And we are to preach it confidently. That's how Paul would preach the Word of God. He spoke concerning his manner of speaking in that way. And he made it very clear that he had a courageous approach because he knew that God's Word is indeed the Word of God. When he spoke it, he didn't have any uh, concept whatsoever that it's not the truth or it's not God's Word. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is God's Word. And that's why he could speak to the Thessalonians and he can say, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. I could speak to you with much assurance or absolute confidence, he's saying, because it is God's Word and I trust it and I preach it as if it is. That's what God has called pastors to do, not to stand up there and try and explain away the miraculous, just to trust that God is the God of the miraculous and, and allow God to be God and to speak with the boldness, encouraging confidence that is going to demonstrate that we actually have been transformed and know this message can transform others who listen. And we preach with that knowledge because God has changed our lives. Absolutely. I was at a, a, con, a concert. I was a brand-new Christian very young in the Lord, not brand new, I was two years old in the Lord. 
And there was a guy seated in front of me. I might have shared this with you before. He was seated in front of me. He was a, a biker, big guy. And the invitation was coming, and I'm looking at this guy. He was probably 6'4", 300 pounds. And his hair was flowing past his shoulders, big old beard, enormous arms. You know, just a big man. And as the invitation was being given, I can still remember looking at this enormous biker, and I was thinking, you can't get saved. This guy's a monster. There's no way he's going to get saved. <laughs> Seriously. He's right in front of me. I had to look around him so I could see the platform. This guy was enormous. And when the guy gave the invitation, this, this biker stands up and starts to cry. And he's rubbing his eyes with his hands. And he's stumbling through the, through the aisleway and comes forward and he's weeping. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to my heart and he said to me something I've never forgotten. He simply said this, I can save anybody. And I believe that. I believe he can save anybody. Anybody. The Bible tells us that. Paul said, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to any who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And Paul was never ashamed to preach this truth. Why? Because it sets people free. Jesus said the truth will make you free. And that's how we preach the Word of God. And so God's Word is intended to instruct us concerning His ways, to make us into disciples that we might obey all things He has commanded us. With that in mind, we have to be aware of the fact that seducers, deceivers are growing more bold, deceiving and being deceived. That's why you need to be in the Word of God daily. That's why you need to be in a, in a Christ-honoring, Bible-teaching church. And I'm not speaking about going to a church where the guy opens the Bible, pulls the Scripture out, because he's teaching from the Bible. What I'm talking about is teaching the Bible, where you open it up and you go through, through 2 Timothy, where you go through Matthew, you go through whole books, so you get the whole counsel of God. And so that's what occurs. So you can grow. And finally, he says, but as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Hang in there, he's saying. Pursue the things that take you to heaven. Pursue those things that glorify Jesus Christ. If you want to be successful, abide faithfully in the teachings of the Word of God. And notice, you have not only learned these things, but you have been assured of these things. You confidently cling to the truth of the gospel in a personal way because you have been set free from the truth. And also, you know from whom you learned them. You learned them from your mother, Lois, from your grandmother, Eunice. You learned them from me. You have a chain of faith to lean on. They prepared the soil, and God planted within your heart His truth. You have had a love for the Word of God from the time you were baby, a baby. Your education is definitely God-centered, established in the home, and therefore I would close by saying this. Even as Timothy was a young man who received from infancy the Word of God, men, make sure the Word of God is enthroned in your house so that your children may know the truth from error. May God bless you, strengthen you, equip you, give you courage, and cause you to be faithful to serve Him all the days of your life. God bless you.